0: Episode 32, Michelle Parrish, Consultant and Managing Partner of Parrish Partners.
1: My favorite mistake, it's one that made me better and it made me think bigger.
0: I'm Mark Graben. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. You can still win a free My Favorite Mistake coffee mug. Learn more and see the show notes at markgraven.com slash mistake 32. And now on with the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graben, and we're joined today. Our guest is Michelle Parrish. She is the co-founder and managing partner of Parrish Partners, which is a leadership and management consulting firm. Previously, Michelle was an executive at Intel. And one commonality we have in our background, she's also a graduate of the MIT Leaders for Global Operations program. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for being a guest. How are you? Oh,
1: thank you, Mark. I'm doing great, and thank you for having me today. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, so a lot to talk about. And I guess, as always, we'll just jump right to the main question at hand. Michelle, what is your favorite mistake from your career?
1: I love your directness, Mark. <laughs> uh, my favorite mistake. It, so it's one that made me better and it made me think bigger. And as you know, Mark, as consultants and coaches, we need to be systems thinkers and we need to frame problems uh, in terms of the system dynamics, not point problems or individual Problems, and we also need to be able to deliver solutions that can scale quickly, right? um, Can transform things not at just an individual level, but at at a system level, at a company level. And so, I'm going to share a story with you um, of a time when I learned about, you know, making sure that we frame that problem correctly, right, and can start moving on the bigger problem from the very beginning. And as you know, I built this. Uh, expertise in coaching emotional intelligence over the years and while the proactive leadership development is the majority of our coaching work at times we are called in to help a struggling executive to turn it around whether that be addressing an individual blind spot or lack of performance by their team. So a few years back a CEO called on me to help a key C-suite executive who was struggling. He was struggling to work effectively with his peers, and he was also struggling to produce the needed company results in the time that they needed him. And this company's, um, well, this executive's relationships were really degrading fast, and his stress was increasing really to an unbearable degree. The very seasoned CEO was also really frustrated because he had tried everything that he knew to turn this around, and nothing was working in this particular case. And you know, he had kind of gone through his list once or twice and said, "Okay, I'm, I'm I need help now," uh, and he needed this executive to produce results faster and uh, to do so with the team that was already in place. Like in other words, there was no changing people at this at this mm-hmm. stage in the game, and everybody on the team, everybody in the C suite was an industry expert, and so essentially they were. They were each, um, they were a team of champions, but they weren't yet what I would call a championship team, right? They had been performing well together. So I was able to come in and work with this this executive, able to quickly gain the trust of this troubled executive and make strong progress. And within a six month period, uh, this particular executive had improved quite dramatically. However, the executive team as a whole still struggled to perform and the company eventually went out of business, uh, which of course is devastating. Right. And I was devastated. I was devastated for them. Um, they were great people. Uh, they were doing some, something great in the world and was so sad to see all of that go away. Um, but as I had worked with them, I had seen that there were a number of other executive team issues that needed to be addressed. Uh, however, the organization wasn't able uh, to allocate more budget or time to work on those issues. And uh, so after the fact, I definitely had to ask myself what I could have done differently as a coach and consultant to help produce those faster results right, at an organizational scale. And while it was clear that the one executive needed help, so did many of the other executives, um, many who also struggled with with EQ skills. And uh, so I, I had long thought before that about creating a course to teach EQ skills at an executive level, but I hadn't executed that plan yet. And it was the pain of seeing this organization fail that really spurred me to do that. And it helped me accelerate that EQ course development. And now we train and coach and consult EQ much faster and more economically as a result. Um, And we've also developed executive training in other key areas as well where we've seen teams struggle whether it's in communications or change management sometimes it is conflict management um, might be even just time and energy management you know there's a there's a sort of things right that uh, we can always get better at and sometimes need the whole organization to get, get better at. So this is what we do today. We teach, we coach, we consult, we leverage all three disciplines for faster progress. And uh, just actually uh, last week, we were on-site teaching an executive team emotional agility and helping them embed EQ into their culture. And then in the month prior, we were working with their emerging leaders and training them as well. So it's been really wonderful to see the positive feedback and the results from that, especially when you're able to work it at an organizational level. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, well, thank you for the story. I think, you know, maybe we can um, dig into that story a little bit. And we'll, we'll also talk later about um, EQ and emotional intelligence and some of the things that you do to help others there. So what what, what I hear in your telling of the story is maybe the CEO was, was framing the problem in a way that wasn't really the correct framing. If the CEO um, was framing it as "I need you to come help that executive," maybe there were fingers being pointed in, the, in uh, one direction when <laughs> fingers could have been pointed maybe in the mirror and and all around. Um, so I guess you know the general question or you know uh, question about lessons or takeaways from that. What what are your thoughts on you know you get called in as a consultant? I end up in this situation where the problems being framed in a way that doesn't seem the way that you as an outsider see the problems. And sometimes as an outsider, you've got the benefit of um, fresh eyes and or not having um, a bias about the problem definition. But what, what, but what are your thoughts when you have to not just come in and help with the solution, but maybe try to coach around, Hey, what really is the problem here?
1: Yeah. So, so another part of what I do differently now is let them know that the, the early stage is really a, Doing our assessment of what the problem statement is and how important I feel it is to get the problem statement right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, actually, when we teach, even in our classes, we, we talk about how Einstein had said, you know, 80% of your time should be spent on a problem statement mm-hmm. um, instead of the solution. Because if you can get the problem statement right, right, the, everything moves along so much faster and you can move through that solution space a lot quicker and get to that end result. And so, with that, fundamental belief in mind, right? It's how you frame it does matter how you scope it, um, as a problem. And, uh, and a lot of times, yes, people are And when they're working within the system, they don't see the system. So they do see it as point problems. They don't see it as the interrelationships. And so you have to come in and help them see that. And how you do that is through that assessment process and some of those upfront conversations, right. That, that, that need to be broader in scope.
0: And you mentioned earlier systems thinking. Um, What's your elevator speech definition of um, systems thinking and and what that means from a business perspective?
1: Yes. Okay. so systems thinking is when you look at all of the the elements and their interrelationships with each other and how do you get the whole system to perform, right. By looking at those interrelationships and, and resolving conflicts within. So uh, systems thinking is really requiring you to step back from it, right. And be able to look at all of the different components and not just the, maybe the part of the, the, that you're seeing right now, or experiencing right now is problematic, right. It's to step back and look at the whole. So holistic thinking is what it is essentially. And it's, At its most, uh, I'd say, basic level.
0: Yeah, and I, I like the way you frame that. That it, it, it's hard to describe the system that you're a part of. Like I've, I've sometimes heard the right. analogy mm-hmm. of like you know the goldfish in a fishbowl yeah. can't <laughs> explain the water because right. exactly. it's it just it just mm-hmm. is. It's just their normal surrounding. And and sometimes maybe you can help me build off this analogy. The water that the leadership team is swimming in. Um, there might be be problems with the water. (laughs) Um,
1: well, sometimes I think the the water is getting hotter and hotter and they don't know it. Um, sometimes the the water is getting more polluted and they don't know it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, there is, there are these different things that are happening and it really, uh, that's a lot of times the a big advantage of having an outsider come in and help, you know, whether as coach or consultant is that you are not in the system and you will notice things right away that other people don't simply because they're used to it. It is the Mm -hmm. kind of the the boiled frog. But then we're talking
0: about frogs. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. From fish to frogs. So, um, and, and I find that people find a lot of relief in that too, right. Is just being able to have somebody else come in and say, this is what I see. Right. And here's another approach or here's what you could do about this. And it's it really is hard to see things from where you sit. Right. You're in the middle of it. You're in the in the dynamics um, and the pace too. sometimes of an organization. It's going so fast. that Sometimes people need to be able to slow down to see it mm-hmm. as well. One of the one of the things that we teach um, in our courses is this concept of becoming the observer of yourself. And what that means is, and it relates to systems thinking in a way, and that if you stop and you start looking at yourself in the context of your environment and how you're behaving and how you're reacting, you start to see it differently, even just yourself looking at yourself, let alone somebody else looking at you for you, right? So it's that pause. And then it's that gaining a different perspective that can often, very often shift you in new directions.
0: Yes, that pause creates the space and the opportunity for reflection. And, and that's one thing that other guests have brought up, this process of reflection. I think that's what allows us to learn from mistakes, whether we have a formal framework for reflection or not. Um, imagine one trap you might see leaders get into is they're so busy that maybe they don't have time for reflection. And that might lead to mistakes being um, repeated. Um, What what are your thoughts on, um, you know, trying to, how do we open someone's eyes up to the need to take that pause for reflection or how to reflect?
1: Yes. So that's actually one of the things I do often um, in executive coaching sessions, and especially with, especially with executives who are very fast. And, uh, you know, they're they're moving fast all the time. They've got always a lot of, on their plate. They're juggling, right? And they don't have that time to reflect. So we, we kind of take a deep breath at the beginning and say, let's slow this down. We're going to slow this down, mm-hmm. right? This is the idea of analyzing, reflecting. It's It's not to power through it, right? And to check off another meeting or another thing done. It's mm-hmm. to step back and think and have a thought partner. And so literally the process helps us do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm there to help guide that process. And you can do that with teams too, right? Slow them down, let them think. Um, it's, it's really how you come to the table and do that, right? And people need to know that you're doing that too because if you try to slow somebody down and they don't know that you're trying to slow them down mm-hmm. to get that time to reflect and analyze, then they'll be frustrated. So sure. you have to mm-hmm. let them know that this is part of the process, right? Yeah. That we go slow to go fast.
0: Right. So that phrase, yeah, I mean that, that that's a phrase I've I've heard and repeated a lot. Like I think of it as uh, a Toyotaism, and they're probably not the only company that teaches that. Um, in the context of is as you brought up earlier, problem solving. Mm-hmm. The uh, the I think it's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. The idea of I'm paraphrasing it. If I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first seven hours sharpening my axe or Ooh. or something like that. Right. It's not going slow to go slow. But I, I think that's really insightful on your part is that you've got to create a little bit of um, visibility into what's coming. We're right. not going slow just to front, we're not trying to frustrate you. It's it's going slow so we can then go faster. Right.
1: Exactly. Yes, and I think what happens too, and this is part of like the whole systems thinking. If you're in an organization that's moving fast, and that becomes that's the nature and the culture, then everyone thinks that slowing down is somehow a bad thing, right? Right. You don't want to slow down overall, so it it is countercultural in some cases, right, to just to slow people down and to get that kind of reflection going. So it is a matter of like building that capability to even do that in some cases. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people, and you probably know this about me, Mark, Because I go fast a lot. Like I love to go fast and and I'll talk fast. When I notice that I'm really, really talking fast and moving fast is actually the times that I need to slow down the most (laughs) and stuff out. So I can be guilty of it too. I just, I'm pretty good at catching myself, Um, but not always. And that's why we need the help of other people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think back to days, you know, pre GPS of you know, being on a vacation, being on unfamiliar roads, you're following a map or printed out directions back in that day and age. And I think of like if if you're if you're if you're not sure if you're on the right path, let's say, you know, you and your spouse you're debating are we on the right road or not, it's probably better to stop and figure it out instead of saying, Well, I'm not sure, but let me speed up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, let's <laughs> so see if the next road gets us there, right? Yes, I mean no, that's a, that's another great analogy, right? So, um, and it what does the map do? The map helps you get perspective, right? So, um, it slows you down. You take a, a broader look. Uh, we can all benefit from that. That's why I think even the process that you're doing here, you know, you're you're slowing people like me down to, to think through things that we've gone through and reflect, and that has immense value. And it helps when somebody else is asking you questions when somebody else is sometimes even challenging you right on what you're saying and if that um if there's not another way to see it so we we all need each other right we all need each other to be better to do all of this um and we need the different functions so to speak right we all play a role and to to play our role well and to be able to uh serve in the capacity that we're we're supposed to in that moment. I mean, I think a lot of times, again, going back to this story and coaches and consultants, like we as outsiders will have an a view on things or an objective that might be very different from everybody else who's in the system, right? But that's our role, that's our extra value, is to provide that different, really radically in some cases, different view. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, you, you mentioned earlier EQ, emotional intelligence, and you do a lot of work in this realm. Um, mm-hmm. Let's take another elevator ride, if you, <laughs> if you will. For listeners who are not really familiar with, with EQ, emotional intelligence, um, how, how do you explain that to folks?
1: So our definition is that uh, emotional intelligence is the ability to use the power and the acumen of emotions to drive higher collaboration and productivity. So it serves that purpose of driving collaboration and productivity. It's about using the power of emotions and you have to then you know, understand and be able to dissect emotions, which is actually not very easy for us as human beings. As much as we like to, th- to think because it's endemic to who we are and that we you know we've been using our emotions since birth that we're somehow good at it. The reality is, is that we are not um, and that it helps for us to be trained and to learn how to uh, how to leverage our emotions in more positive ways um and then we talk about emotional agility as taking it a next step further right The, the ability to manage those feelings to be mindful to be values driven um and productive uh and to successfully navigate times of crisis and change and challenge which for example, the time that we're in is the time right. that we're in right now with the pandemic and all it's, there's a lot going on for a lot of people and they're, they're struggling through it.
0: And so it's, there, there are two aspects to this, being more in touch with your own emotions and better relating to the emotions of people that you're working with.
1: Right, exactly. Right. So, so first, um, first taking care of ourselves and, and getting a handle on our own emotions, then being able to read and support others um, and their emotions, and what a huge difference that can make, right? In terms of the organizational productivity and results. And we, you know, same thing we were talking about earlier. Sometimes um, in a given culture, we can we can get into some ways of being or, or bad habits that become very acceptable to everybody when in fact they could be hampering the organization. Right. And that if we make some tweaks and adjustments, we can turn those things around. So -hmm. we look to do uh, things along those lines. When we study um, and, and teach and train um, EQ and organizations is help them make those turnarounds. Yeah.
0: Now I think back to some organizations um, like, especially in, in my past working in manufacturing companies, like compared to healthcare, as much as you can generalize, I think healthcare organizations are much more in tune with emotions, sometimes not perfectly. Yes. But the word feelings gets used a lot more, where in some companies there's a bias to talk about thinking. Yes. Um, We hear things like, you know, we, our organization is data-driven or we are analytical or, like, that seems to be really valued. Is it a mistake to undervalue the emotional side of, of us as people, considering that's what builds, that's what the organization consists of?
1: It's absolutely a mistake to, to devalue that, right? Or not understand the, the power of that and when you need to shift. So we talk about being able to shift to from kind of the, the, the inside out. So if you think about, how, you know, you're, if you're a technical person and you're doing a lot of problem solving or even like a busy executive, right? You're doing a lot of problem solving in your head and you're turned inside. Um, and that's fine. You may need to do that for a while, but then you have to remember to turn that thought to the outside and be looking at the people around you, right? And how they're how they're doing how they're interpreting things what's the impact that you're having on them uh as a as a key question to ask yourself and especially in a leadership role so it's it really is a shifting of perspective often from the inside of your mind to the outside world and what's going on with the the people who are all around you and it's amazing what you pick up when you start to actually observe and watch like we you know we all have these different levels of, of emotional intelligence just naturally and we we can all get better for sure it's uh, it's something that's proven that when you you can work on it you can become stronger unlike IQ IQ where it's more set from birth and uh, you know some people are get that earlier in life and they're able to navigate stronger with it others um need to learn it much later in life. And that's okay, you can start at any time. But if you can realize the value of it, and understand why it's so important, then you can understand why you would want to spend time there. Mm-hmm.
0: And I mean, it sounds like um, a parallel to organizations who talk about continuous improvement, that we yeah. can continuously improve our own emotional intelligence. And, and you work with, you know, a team there at Parish Partners. Um, do you lean on your colleagues a little bit to to coach you and and vice versa to continue developing it yourself
1: yeah absolutely for sure because we're never done that's the reality and leadership and 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 these kind of skills it's a, a lifelong learning process um i uh, i co-teach the um emotional intelligence uh, course with one of my colleagues jeanette Um, And and uh, we enjoy doing it together. And I think and we enjoy putting bringing new learnings to the table all the time. And I do think that we coach each other and we find all all the time. It's just a natural part of our process. And I think because we are both uh, we both value learning and we both value like that there's there's never a done state. Let's just put it that way from a you know continuous improvement. We're always going to find more that we can learn more that something else that we can a- add that will hopefully connect with somebody and add value. Um, you know, we, even in this last round, we picked up, I picked up at the grocery store, you know, lines in the magazine racks, there's a time magazine about uh, uh, edition, special edition about emotions. Right. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, do I need to pick this up? I mean, look, I've already got all of this, uh, you know, this material, but I did just out of curiosity to see what they had in there. And I found all sorts of fabulous um, tips and some more new things and, and shared those with Jeanette. And we just, you know, we have, we, and we share that with other people but, you know, pick that up at your newsstand. It's just another tool, right? That you can yeah. use. So there's, there's always more, you know, you're, again, you're never done and it's fun to find those new things that work for people.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, you mentioned virtual workshop, and as we wrap up here, let's talk about some of the other uh, things that you do through Parish Partners. I mean, I'll tell the listeners in in July, I had the opportunity, I I chose to do um, the executive emotional agility. Was that the? Yes, Mm
1: the the course, executive. The
0: the two-week workshop, it was two Fridays, and that was a really good tune-up, you know, just thinking in terms of both, um, you know, professional circumstances where I could be better of my own emotions, um, if I get frustrated or impatient with things, what really is driving that? And I think there are parallels to systems thinking or operational excellence to try to think through. Well, what are the root causes mm-hmm. <laughs> of that frustration? So that I, you know, it's one thing to recognize, okay, I am getting frustrated, but it's good to understand why. And
1: Absolutely. the right.
0: workshop and right. the, dis- huh. the discussions, yeah, what are the triggers? And I th- one the one of the I think the be- best takeaways for me. From what you and Jeanette taught was uh, going through and thinking about values and when something is happening that's misaligned with your own values that can create a level of discomfort that can be hard to explain
1: yes Uh
0: you know and and I found that very helpful so you know for that and other reasons you know I really recommend um the workshop the virtual oh, workshop. For you folks. Work.
1: Yeah. Learning your triggers is a really mm-hmm. important thing. Um, and it can change at different points in life, right? So you want to revisit that periodically and revisit your values periodically. But we do see that clear link between triggers and values and those things that mean the most to us will get the most emotional response, mm-hmm. right? So understanding that in ourselves and within your family. I mean, that's the nice thing about this type of uh, topic and material is, it's relevant not only in the business, it's relevant to your family life as well, um, family and friends and, um, and whatever other organizations that you're a part of. So it can serve you well in all aspects of life. I mean, we, we are emotional beings. It's who we are, and we need to learn how to leverage that and, and pay attention to that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. I mean, that that's part of who, part of, uh, you know, who we are as um, fully formed, complex, individuals and you know i think back when it comes to systems thinking or quality improvement you know one of uh, now late great gurus um w Edwards deming often gets labeled as a statistician so you think oh well here's the realm of the mathematical the logical this is what we experienced at mit but mit also did teach us um to focus on um teams and people and what dr Deming would, would you know he said the most important thing for a leader to understand is the psychology of their people yeah. and what makes their employees unique and um, there are different yeah. ways of trying to, to then translate that goal into practice and you know I think what you were what you were teaching um you know was really helpful to to turn what might seem just sort of conceptual into something really practical so thank you for that
1: Absolutely yes, and I like you know what you're describing right. There's there's the data piece, there's the in, mm-hmm. there's the tangible piece, and then there's the less tangible uh, piece that we need to get on, under our belts. And and I say it's the three domains, it's the I, we, and the it. And we're all very comfortable with the it world and talking about data and all, but we're not always comfortable talking about I and we. And that's mm-hmm. you know, at least two thirds of it. So we need to make sure we're getting all the all the slices of the pie that we're taking all into account yeah. in our work.
0: Yeah. So that's really well said. And our, our guest again has been Michelle Parrish from Parrish Partners, uh, the website where you can learn more about um, everything they offer, not just that virtual workshop, but other um, services. Um, as Michelle mentioned, being on site with a client again recently, you can learn more at www.parishpartners.com. So uh, Michelle, again, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your other reflections. I guess it's you know reflections about reflections. That's a good thing. <laughs>
1: And thank you, Mark, for slowing me down and making me reflect in a way that I enjoyed. And, uh, and, and I enjoyed being able to share it. So appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Sure
0: thing. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.